right now, I think the biggest thing is low pay. Most people that work at a veterinary clinic, even though that is their main full-time job, they have one or two other side gigs that they have to have because they do not earn a living wage. They can't afford an apartment, can't afford health care, can't afford groceries sometimes. That's probably the biggest thing. And that contributes to burnout that we see new graduate technicians that come are coming out of school. They're only staying in the field five to seven years after graduation. That is Charlotte Wack. And this is the Vin Foundation's Veterinary Pulse podcast. I'm Jordan Benshia, Executive Director of the Vin Foundation. Join me and our co-host and Vin Foundation board member, Dr. Matt Holland, as we talk with veterinary colleagues about critical topics and share stories. Stories that connect us as humans, as animals, as a veterinary community. This podcast is made possible by individuals like you who donate to the Vin Foundation. Thank you. Please check the episode notes for bios, links, and information mentioned. Welcome, Charlotte. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Jordan. It's great to be here. Uh, I've been so excited to have you. I've been, I don't know why it didn't dawn on us to do this earlier. Um, Charlotte's current role is as the Veterinary Support Personnel Network, VSPN's director and continual education director. And you also do uh, conferences for VIN. Um, tell us a little bit more about your role. So I oversee VSPN, which is part of the VIN family. And we are VIN for the support staff. So for technicians, assistants, receptionists, office managers, VSPN is there and membership is free to VSPN. Um, We don't have quite the resources that VIN does, but we're building resources every day. And it's Mm -hmm. geared, again, toward the support staff. Um, So I oversee all the content on VSPN and the CE department. I schedule VSPN CE courses and oversee the content on that and make sure everything kind of runs smoothly. That's great. You know, it's, it's amazing to me when people don't know about VSPN because I feel like it's such a huge resource for support staff. And regularly what we hear is that they that support staff is trying to get on VIN, but really there's this whole other wealth of resource and information available to the support staff. And like you said, it's totally free. This isn't an ad for VSPN, but it's more, we just want to share info so that our colleagues know that, you know, you know, the foundation's mission is we're here to help and Mm -hmm. VSPN is here to help as well. So I wanted to make sure that we shared about that. So surprising to me because working the conferences, um, I've been working for VIN for 16 years now. And I started working conferences probably 10, 12 years ago mm-hmm. and talking to the vinners, the veterinarians, probably 80% did not realize that VSPN was out there. And right. they would ask because, you know, I'd have my VSPN shirt on and they'd ask, is that part of VIN? What is it? So I happily handed them a, a brochure, but now a few more do know about it, but we're still seeing probably 65 to 75% of VIN members don't realize that VSPN is there for their staff. 
Right. I, yeah. We feel the same way with some of the VIN Foundation resources. <laughs> it's like it's like we're a great kept secret, but really we don't want to be a secret. We want everyone to know and utilize us and, yes. and get help. And I think a lot of times when things are free, people just presume that it's that there's a lack of value there. But really, like we're really nice humans. Like we really do just want to yes. help you. <laughs> and, you know, we are a worldwide community um, with VSPN and we have... I think about 12,000, 13,000 members worldwide. Wow. So we have, we have colleagues from Australia, New Zealand, many from Canada, probably 10% of our membership are Canadians, mm-hmm. um, several from Europe. So it's, it's growing and hopefully we're going to continue being, having that international presence. I'm sure that you will. I'm sure that you will. I think that it'll continue to gain steam and, you know, you're such an extremely experienced um, veterinary professional, and I think it'd be great for our listeners to kind of go backwards a bit and learn about your journey. I mean, how did you find your way to the veterinary profession and to veterinary medicine? And did you always have like this passion for caring for animals or how did it start? Share with us your story. Well, originally, I went to college to be a music producer, record producer, talent, (laughs) um, coordinator. But when I graduated with my bachelor's back in 1982, I was barely 21 years old and I would need to move to either Nashville or L.A. I'm from a very, very small town in Illinois and went to a very small college in Illinois. So that was a little bit daunting to have to pick up and move to those really big cities because that's where the music industry is. Um, So I was working at Pizza Hut all through college. They offered me a management job. I took it. It was great pay. I, I really enjoyed the business side of it because my degree is in music business and I hurt my back after about 10 years working there. Um, I was 29 years old and blew a disc in my back. So I had to have back surgery that took me out of the running for about a year total between physical therapy and having the surgery and recovering for eight months. So when I was released, I no longer had the job at Pizza Hut. So I was looking at ads and I answered a blind ad for a veterinary clinic. They just, they wanted someone as an assistant and um, I got the job. Never had any idea. I mean, I'd always loved animals. We had dogs. My mother was a dog groomer, um, but didn't have that science drive that, you know, I was a music geek, so didn't think about the science of it all. And I just fell in love with veterinary medicine. And I think some of it was the veterinarian that I worked for, Dr. David Hall, who just retired from clinical practice, Aww. <laughs> um, he encouraged us to, it, it was a very small practice, he encouraged us to learn. If we asked about something, no question was was dumb. If I wanted to learn more about how anesthesia affects the body, he would hand me an article from a journal and say, read this. So he kind of helped develop my love for veterinary medicine. And at that small clinic, I worked with my first certified veterinary technician. 
I thought, wow, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. All of these skills that she has and all this knowledge that she has. So um, at that point in time, I was married, kind of settled, didn't want to move away to go to college, but I eventually found a distance learning program and uh, went back to school at the age of 39 to become a certified veterinary technician. And it took a few, couple of years to do that. Uh, St. Petersburg College was a distance learning program I went to. And uh, I was amazed at how much I learned. A lot of people thought, well, you've been in the field for 12 years. You probably know it all. No, you don't. <laughs> you, you know the hows. You don't know the whys behind what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was just amazing, very eye-opening to, to go back to school. Um, and then I continued working in clinical practice until my back gave out again. And, um, through the whole time, probably since 1996, 97, I'd been volunteering for VIN in an area called the pet care forum back when we were on AOL. Right, right. The early days. (laughs) Yes. Back in the pet care forum. Um, and then I started volunteering for VSPN once all VIN and everything moved to the World Wide Web. So I'd always been a volunteer in the background. And um, when I had come out of clinical practice, the director of VSPN at that time asked me to send a resume in. And um, it's just my job has grown from there. So I've had amazing opportunities. And I think a lot of it comes from volunteering. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I don't say no very often. You, pros and you cons have to that. Personally, seen that. <laughs> I I suffer from the same situation, so I understand <laughs> that two-letter word really gets me. <laughs> well, and what was it about the veterinary veterinary profession and veterinary medicine that really drew you in? The caring for the animals. Mm-hmm. I. You got to know patients that came in as puppies. And if you work at that same clinic long enough, you will see them to their last day. Oh, yeah. And I felt it was a privilege to be able to share in that journey with them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a patient comes in, hit by a car, really critical. And 10 days later, they walk out of the clinic. Mm -hmm. So it's being able to, to do the healing to help with that healing, be a part of that. And again, the science just fascinated me. Um, I am a big endocrinology nerd and clinical pathology. I didn't think that, I didn't think I would have to use a microscope after high school, <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. And the challenges that, because the medicine changes every day. Mm-hmm. So you're, it's a changing field that you're always having to learn new things um, to keep up with the medicine. And I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. If I could, I'd be in college right now, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a great path that you, that's sort of taken you here. It's almost, you know, from Pizza Hut to the, to your back issue and yes. injuring your back then somehow took you to veterinary medicine. And we just, we never really know in life what what things are ahead for us, right? But the importance of being open and exploring and that was a huge shift for you and you really just took it on. And that's that's wonderful. I hear, love hearing those stories. It, it was, and that's the thing, you, you don't ever really know what door's going to open. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm a big believer in don't ever burn your bridges (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you just, you never know when something might happen to what you're doing right now. You're not able to do that position any longer during Mm -hmm. practice and um, you know, having different opportunities. I think it, you, you just don't, you don't shut that door. You don't slam it. And like I said before, burn bridges. Um, You never know if, if you're in a position where you're going to leave that clinic, don't get mad and storm out and cuss everyone out (laughs) too with something. Because you never know. You may, you may want to go back to that clinic at some point. Or you might find yourself working with one of those people in another clinic yes. that you didn't expect, right? Yes, I mean, exactly. Life has the ways, it has ways of showing us lessons that we didn't know we needed. Yes. <laughs> so you've probably seen a lot over the decades. And what would you say are some of the most critical topics for veterinary support staff in the current landscape of the profession? Right now, COVID has changed a lot of things, which I know we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But um, I think the biggest thing is low pay. Mm -hmm. Most people that work at a veterinary clinic, even though that is their main full-time job, they have one or two other side gigs that they have to have because they do not earn a living wage. They can't afford an apartment, can't afford health care, can't afford groceries sometimes. So... That's probably the biggest thing, and that contributes to burnout that we see technicians, new graduate technicians that come are coming out of school. They're only staying in the field five to seven years after graduation. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yes. So, there's a lot of turnover, which, again, this, it impacts the whole veterinary clinic because mm-hmm. of that high turnover. You're always training someone. Um So I think that's probably one of the biggest issues that we have going is that we need to find a way to keep people Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. in what they're, you know, in the clinic and in this profession, because a lot of people are leaving and COVID really did not help that very much. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. How did you see the pandemic shift the veterinary staff experience in practices? It became truly unbearable for mm-hmm. many people and mm-hmm. they left the field. You specifically people, what areas do you feel caused that? Overworked. Mm-hmm. Overworked, understaffed, low pay. Because especially when it first started and people mm-hmm. were testing positive and they'd have to have part of their staff quarantine. My husband works for a big company, mm-hmm. a big corporation. And when they have like five people out because they have to quarantine or that someone tests positive. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make a, a huge impact on them. When you have that with a veterinary clinic, that's mm-hmm. half of your staff. Right. And they don't have backups for, mm-hmm. they have enough people on that team to run those shifts. They don't have anyone to back up to help them. So then the people that are still working, they're doing twice the work. They're working, you know, 10, 12 hour days with no breaks. Mm-hmm. They're working seven days a week, even though that's federally not legal to do. Right, right. They were doing what they had to do to keep mm-hmm. the business running. So that probably started a lot of the burnout issues. 
right. clients. <laughs> For some reason, veterinary clinics, they have become very, very busy during the pandemic. <laughs> right. I mean, I think that we've, you know, I know that we've talked about this a lot, mm-hmm. you know, internally at VIN and then with the foundation, et cetera. And there, we, you know, we've put videos together about it, et cetera. And it seems to me that there's really, you know, two main reasons. One, an enormous influx of people because they're at home uh, mm-hmm. adopting animals just at a rate that we've never seen before. Right. right? right. Shelters and then, were cleared. Right, right. All of a sudden, like all this money that used to go to shelters, all of a sudden they're cleared. (laughs) There's like no animals to adopt. And then two is that, you know, people are at home and they're paying attention. Yes. Right. And so all of a sudden they're noticing these things or they have the time to see something in their cat or their dog or bird, et cetera, um, that they weren't seen before. And then I would say three is that curbside takes a lot more time. It does. You know, and it almost, so it seems, I mean, are there things you think we're missing or do you think those three things are really the. Those, yeah. Those and then you the add in that. Ones. And then you add in that exactly what you just said. Like someone gets COVID, test positive. Right. They've got a quarantine. So then you're short staffed and then they're short staffed. And then the doctor's more stressed because the doctor's also like part of them have to quarantine if it's a multi, yes. multi-doctor hospital. And, and then you've got, you know, the clients who are waiting. I mean, we we're regularly still hearing of veterinarians that are, you know, running at 110% capacity easy. They are. Right. Yeah. There, there were, it was just on Facebook last week. One of my friends, an emergency clinic in um, Massachusetts had to, had to quit taking referrals mm-hmm. or no, they only took referrals. I'm sorry. They had to quit mm-hmm. taking walk-ins mm-hmm. for the emergency clinic that because they are short staffed. They don't have enough people to see all of the patients. Um, so we're still seeing it. Right. Right. Even though things are kind of opening up, but a lot of practices are still curbside. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, and that is partially to protect their staff members. Mm -hmm. They don't know who's been vaccinated, who hasn't been. Um, and when you're in an exam room with someone, you're in fairly close quarters. There's not, there's not a lot of, ways to social distance when you're in a four by six exam room. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it would be great if every clinic had these huge rooms that you could stand six feet apart, but you can't. So. Right, right. So yeah. that's why a lot of the, the clinics, I think, are staying curbside um, just because of the safety factor. Yeah, and they've we're, got to protect your staff. Yet. Right, because a lot of what you're saying, I mean, somebody gets out and the the whole practice, everybody has a specific role and that can just snowball. So something that you also mentioned was burnout. And I think that uh, we've definitely shared a lot on this podcast about the VIN Foundation Vets for Vets Confidential Support Group. Um, One aspect of that that we haven't shared really yet that I want to make sure people know about is support for support, which is... um, confidential peer-to-peer support, completely free again, but specifically for support staff. And you lead that. So would you share with our listeners a little bit about support for support? So support for support is peer support. And we're not mental health professionals, Mm -hmm. but we're there. We've seen, been around the vet industry for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can, you can contact us at support for support at vinfoundation.org. 
And I'll just take, put in, say real quick that we will have the link to support for support and how you reach out and everything in the episode notes. So if you're driving or walking, et cetera, any links that we mentioned in this episode and any information, you can find it all in the episode notes. So that information will be there for you. And once someone contacts us, then either myself or Sarah Stolman, who helps with support for support, we will be in touch with you to see if we can arrange a phone call and chat a little bit on the phone, find out where we can best help, mm-hmm. whether it's lining you up with another mentor uh, that we know or that has been through maybe something very similar or whether it's finding you a list of resources, we will try to work to help. And we're basically a shoulder to lean on right. when, when you need it. And we have we tried some of the group meetings, didn't work out really well at first, but we are open to trying again. Mm-hmm. So that's something that may be coming back up in the, this summer. Hopefully, we'll see how how the uh, how the group feels. But uh, we have several people that we've you know been in touch with, and some of them have said you know they come to a point where hey you know what I think I'm doing really well. I'm going to head out for a little bit. That's the best, but I right? Know that you're here. Yeah, yes. yeah. I know and that then you're here for if I need to touch base. Mm-hmm. And that's what we wanted. We wanted to do. I think when we started out with Bree Montana, uh, the head of Vets for Vets, and yourself, that <laughs> we just want to be able to provide a hand up if we can. Right, right. And just to let everybody know, I mean. But wherever they are in the profession, they are not alone. And we're, yes. we're here for them. And whether they're a veterinarian or a veterinary student or support staff, Vets for Vets and Support for Support are here to help. And yes. we're, working, we're consistently looking at ways that we can improve. Um, it's all free. It's all made possible thanks to individual donors. And, you know, like you, our listeners, and thank you for your support and yeah, I'm, I'm so thankful that you're running that group, Charlotte, because I think that that's a very important, um, you know, need that, that is in the profession right now. And, and hopefully more people is. take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you know, and a lot of people, they're becoming more aware of the suicide rate in mm-hmm. veterinary medicine. But just to have someone that says, hey, I care. Right. And also somebody... Absolutely. And also somebody that is living the day-to-day veterinary medicine world, right? It's very different when somebody knows what you're going through and you're able to talk about that with them. And whatever it is that somebody's going through, trust us, we've seen it before. So right. there's no stupid questions. You're not an outlier. You're very special, but you're not an outlier. Yes. <laughs> and and there is somebody's been through it and there's mentors and there's ways to help. Yes, so. definitely. I think that's a big thing. A lot of times we all, we just thought we were alone, worrying about burnout, anxiety, um, bullying within the clinic. And to find out that they're not alone, I think is, gives them, gives them some hope. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's very, very true. So thank you for all the work that you're doing with support for support and since you've been in this field for so long, I'm curious if there's other ways that you've seen or how rather for sure. I mean, change is the only constant. So 
how else have you seen the veterinary profession change for support staff? And we, we covered from a pandemic perspective, mm-hmm. and that's a big thing. But I'm curious, so for overall, what sort of trends you've seen? I think there are a lot more opportunities mm-hmm. to other than just clinical practice than what there used to be. But probably the biggest change are the corporate buyouts now, because a lot of us started, a lot of us long timers, as I call us, Mm -hmm. um, we started back when, you know, my practice was a one doctor practice. And then you may, you know, over the last probably 20, 20 years ago, you probably saw multiple doctor practices, but they were still owned by one or two doctors locally owned. And now you're seeing most of those practices being bought out by corporations. And not everyone may not be suited to work in the corporate environment. Um, But in a lot of ways, I think it's been good because the corporations are able to offer better benefits, health insurance, 401ks, um, a little bit better schedule possibly because they might be able to have more staff members that are hired. So it's kind of a two-edged sword in a way, but that's probably the biggest change that I've seen is the changing from the small practice to the corporation practice. Mm -hmm. Going from the independent owner to Mm -hmm. multi-practice owners, right? Okay. what are some areas that you see as opportunities to improve from a veterinary medicine perspective for support staff or for the for support staff experience, right? I mean, you've mentioned, you've mentioned, I think that, you know, we talked earlier about low pay and that yes. the turnaround, how, how do you think that you, you know, maybe you can share with the listeners a little bit about that. So, like I said, most people that work at veterinary practices they have one or two jobs or maybe more than that. Myself, I was very fortunate. (laughs) Uh, My husband makes a decent living (laughs) (laughs) so that I could do what I, I loved, but clinical practice, it was, you know, back then I was making what 10 50 an hour and that's not enough to pay the rent and pay the bills have food on the table, much less support a family. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we need to, like a lot of industries, we need to have better pay and offer some benefits because most people that are working in clinics, they can't really retire. They don't have a retirement plan. They don't have a retirement Mm -hmm. fund. Mm -hmm. They can't go to the doctor because they don't have health insurance. Um, luckily, over the last you know few years, some of that has been alleviated some, but they still, it's, it's difficult for them to afford it. Right. Um, yeah, that's probably the biggest thing. Yeah, okay. you know, that's, that's a big one, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's tough because vet clinics, a lot, of, a lot of clients don't really think about it, but vet clinics, our businesses. Right, right. And bottom line, they have to have a profit to keep going. Mm-hmm. But when you go to the hospital and have an MRI, 
it will cost you 10 times more than what it costs to have, right. have your dog get an MRI. And it's the same equipment. Exactly. Uh, same exactly. Yeah. Same thing with blood work. It's the same equipment that we run blood work on. Um, but you have with the human side, you have insurance companies that help defray Mm-hmm. that cost mm-hmm. but we don't have that in vet med mm-hmm. so well there's pet insurance but not nearly as many people right not at the level that you see in human medicine right right or that you see like yeah. in europe europe mm-hmm. pet insurance is huge over there they probably have 90 percent of their clients have pet insurance in the u.s wow. probably 10 percent of the clients have pet insurance <laughs> oh my gosh i didn't realize that difference that's huge it's you know what there are a lot of good things in england it's normal to spay and neuter your dogs and cats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just a taken. Hardly anyone has intact pets. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's amazing to see the differences. But that's one thing that's that's hard to understand is they the vet clinics have to buy this equipment and maintain this equipment and maintain hire good doctors and hopefully hire technicians. So their profit margin is not, as high because people complain about the prices that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it costs in vet clinics. Right. And so they, you know, it's a, it's a really tough line to try to walk to keep the clinic profitable, but also not too high that the clients can't afford it any longer. Right. So I don't have any answers. <laughs> I really don't We're have having any the answers. conversation and that's the first step, I think. I think so. And and you know that some of the larger cities are starting to talk with some of the unions and a couple of them have unionized in the state of Washington. I think there are two practices that have unionized to to help the employees have a little wow. bit better job uh, security and better working conditions. But it also helps the clinic because mm-hmm. they've shown, I think the first one has shown that they have been able to have less turnover since the union mm-hmm. came in mm-hmm. and since they were unionized. And so it's doing, that's what we need. We need to hold on to these people. Right. So I don't know. I, I don't think it's for every clinic, but, but that's maybe one thing to right, talk right. with, you know, for the, for as many corporate practices as, that are out there. We've talked about cha- a lot of challenges and a lot of changes. What are some things that you're excited about in the veterinary profession these days? I was excited about the medicine because, mm-hmm. again, like I said, it's changing and they're making so many pathways into into new treatments in, you know, the mast cell vaccine. Um, just things that are that the geek inside of me says, this is so cool. <laughs> but there are a lot of opportunities also for us to have a longer career for as support staff that someone who's a receptionist in a clinic, when they're getting, they're saying, ah, I've been here for 20 years, what else can I do? There are opportunities for them to turn that into a different path. Um, working with some of the companies doing going to the different conferences it's normally it's fun to travel uh, <laughs> and go out there and talk to people if you're if you're good with people and you know the product then you know that's something that 
they're always looking for someone from the field to help help with some of these companies support them. Mm-hmm. The ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center, they hire people all across the country to man their phones. These are credential technicians, but um, working from home, there are a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Teaching. It used to be technician programs only hired veterinarians to teach. Now, most of the majority of the vet tech programs have a credential technician as their program director, which is fantastic. So right. being an educator, um, there are just so many opportunities to do things. It Working for VSPN, working <laughs> online. Um, so, right, right. Yeah, that is exciting as to how we can branch out and do more. So, and then, you know, all the CE opportunities we've had, thanks to COVID, everything is going right, online. Right. But a lot of them, a lot of the CE programs are offered for free. So take advantage of that. Learn something. Mm-hmm. Uh, see a speaker that you've always wanted to see. Take right. advantage of some of these programs. Um, and giving myself a little nudge here for VSPN, we're doing some <laughs> daytime conferences. One day, earn five hours of CE different topics we have a behavior one coming up um it's just fast and easy and you can you can see some of your favorite speakers or some of your favorite topics so everyone's doing it now and there are just so many opportunities to further your education and learn something about uh something new coming out i think that's fantastic that's that's been one of my favorite things about like I, I try to look for silver linings and I would say that's one of the silver linings about COVID is the opportunities for distance learning mm-hmm. are amazing right now. And I'm loving it. I am trying to take full advantage of everything that I can, where I used to have to travel for the staff development and learn these things. And now you can do it all, <laughs> you know, and I'm really, I'm hoping that plus curbside pickup continue. Yes. <laughs> those are two things that I see as huge benefits coming out of the pandemic and, um, you know, sometimes you more, just don't want people. <laughs> exactly. Well, it just allows you to be, you know, I remember when I got my, um, my first Blackberry and I thought, oh my God, this is going to make me so much more productive. Right. Yes. And I, I feel the same way. Like it's, it's a, yeah, it's just, there's, there's, there are opportunities now to make us much more productive. And that's what I'm excited about is to be able oh. to continue to learn and engage and yes. absorb. Um, but without having to do all the travel so that I can focus on other things. And I, and, you know, I would never be able to do all that learning. So I wouldn't have to be somewhere else physically. Right. And now it allows you to kind of do both. And I, I think that that's, that's really exciting because I'm similar to you. And as much as I love learning and I, mm-hmm. to, you know, I hope to be a lifelong student. It, it's not just vet med. It's right. All kinds of different things. If you just if you've always wanted to learn about, oh, say I don't know, paint by numbers or something, or you know, you can. There's a class for it. Yep. Nope. Dance class. Probably free. Painting classes. Yeah. Probably free or at a pretty low rate. So yes, lots of options. <laughs> yes, definitely. So we're zeroing in, um, almost done here, but I wanted to ask just a couple more questions. And one thing sure. that I do like to ask are, is what's a secret talent that you have or something that you enjoy doing that others might not know about? I have a lot of different things. Um, the music thing, 
play bassoon and cello, more more cello than bassoon these days. Um, <clears throat> I'm a huge, huge Jackman fan. <laughs> Ask me anything. About we should probably fan. we should probably tell our audience how huge of a fan you are. I mean, there's a serious dedication <laughs> here. <laughs> well, uh, planning already to go see Music Man. As soon as Broadway opens up and tickets are open again, and and it's a group of, of us that go and um, go to concerts. We've gone to concerts before. I have flown into Philadelphia for one day to see a concert and then flown back home. Um, yeah, and then due to thanks to Hugh Jackman and then a couple of other people on Instagram, I have gotten into sourdough bread. Oh, you've made, you've, you've done it. I have jumped on the the bandwagon completely (laughs) down the rabbit hole. And now I bake, I bake at least one loaf of sourdough a week. Um, Wow. Yeah. I have like three different starters. One's called Gordon Ramsay. Another one's called Hugh Jackman. (laughs) You have to name your starter. I found out. And yeah, just kind of experiment. I even, I even made gluten-free for my brother-in-law. I That's really exciting. Started a gluten-free starter and made a gluten-free quote sourdough loaf. Wow. That was, I was very proud of that. <laughs> so multiple secret talents is what we're learning. <laughs> and I'm getting into, you know, video editing because we we did a vlog for most of the year um, on VSPN. It was called Love VSPN. And mm-hmm. um, I need to put those episodes up on YouTube so everybody can see them. In in the meantime, if you like VSPN page on Facebook, you can find them there. We're going to probably continue the vlog once we start back on the road with conferences mm-hmm. and do some interviews with people on on site at conferences. Um, yeah, I like to garden. I love hummingbirds. I'm getting into photography now. So there's just, you know, keeping busy. The, the pandemic was kind of good for me because I'm home. And right. I've had time to do a lot of things, which that's mm-hmm. all going to stop at the end of August through <laughs> September because we everyone pushed their conferences off and all the vet conferences start up again. Yay. Right. <laughs> wow. So before we jump off here, just is there anything that you want to leave the audience with? Piece of advice or suggestion or some of your best practices or anything that you think that our listeners might want to know or would be benefit from? Always try. Don't be afraid to network, I guess. That's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to get because every opportunity I've had, whether it's serving on a board um, for the Illinois State Vet Med Association, NAVTA, or working with the VIN Foundation with Support for Support, my job at VIN, it's all because of networking mm-hmm. that I wasn't afraid to go up to someone and stick up my hand and introduce myself. And I think that's really important in not, not just in vet med in anything you do is to not be afraid to put yourself out there a little bit because you never know what opportunity is going to land at your feet. And it may take you in a whole different direction, but Sometimes something new, while being scary, it can be really good. Yeah, it's good advice. That's good advice. Thank you so much, Charlotte, for your time. I know you're really busy, and I really appreciate you taking some time and sharing your story with our listeners. Thank you, Jordan. It was great talking with you. You know I always enjoy talking with you. 
We always have a good time. (laughs) We hope you tune in again soon. (laughs) Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Veterinary Pulse. Please check the episode notes for additional information referenced in the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, subscribe, and share review. We welcome feedback and hope you will tune in again. You can find out more about the VIN Foundation through our website, vinfoundation.org, and our social media channels. Thank you for being here. Be well.